Hi, we are relationship specialists, Dan and Carol Oler. Thanks for joining us for our podcast series called Relationships by Design. In this episode, we share insights about drama and conflict in relationships. Ever had a conflict or disagreements that just seem to go on and on without end, where one or both of you seem to be stuck in drama and stories? It's natural for all of us, but it doesn't mean you need to stay there. Awareness is the first step. Carol, a couple days ago, I found myself in a real funk. Stuff was going on here, and I was having a bit of a conflict going on within myself. You know, the different projects on the go and the weather and winter coming on, things I wanted to get done and other stuff happening and kind of arguing conflict going on within myself. and Really, really uncomfortable. And thank goodness, thank goodness I was aware of what was going on and was able to stop it. Because in the past, I could get stuck in that stuff for days and weeks. Well, and you're not alone in that. I know I fall into that. And well, and the people that we talk to and coach with, That's not that uncommon for people to get kind of stuck in that cycle that goes round and round. And not only in ourself, but in our relationship with others. I think about our relationship Mm -hmm. and every now and then, even though we're aware of this, we still get caught up in these silly conflicts and dramas every now and then. Mm -hmm. Thank God it doesn't happen as often as it used to. (laughs) Well, and a part of that is awareness and, and a willingness to do something different. And, you know, you think about conflict a lot of the couples that we coach with, you know, they they want to get rid of conflict. That's one of the reasons they come to us. And yet I'm not sure that that's the greatest thing. I think it's conflict is a really great awareness tool. It helps us to look a little deeper within to see what's really going on, much deeper than the story and the stuff that we deal with. And I think that, you know, if we can figure out ways to have honest, open conversations you know, like that podcast we did a while ago about effective communication. You know, if we can have that effective communication where we're talking about it with kindness and respect and openness and honesty and sort of a win-win attitude, conflict is where we can come up with our greatest growth and creativity and innovation. Yeah, true. And yet I don't particularly like the word conflict. So I would tend to, for my personality, use a word like, you know, perhaps a difference is an opinion or or maybe even in a disagreement. Whereas conflict to me is a more weighted word and and yeah, one that I probably wouldn't use in, in that respect. That's, that's a really neat perspective, Carol. Simply that change, a reframe of the words and how it can give a different feeling or a different approach to what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And then by me saying that you and I have a difference of opinion, as opposed to we're in conflict over it, it allows me to then step into a space where I want to hear what's going on for you and, and all of those things, as opposed to looking from my boxing gloves and trying to figure out which stance I should take. (laughs) You mean we can be curious and learn rather than fight? I guess we could. (laughs) We could. (laughs) Maybe we'll have to try that one of these days. You know, in conflict, we see it all around us. You know, it relates very much to the Heart of Relationships podcast we did a while ago, where right now in our world, there's conflict in our world in a much bigger way, you know, between countries and economies and things like that. Yeah, and it happens at all levels. There are 
I'll use the word differences of opinion in our workplaces, in our communities, in, as you've mentioned already, in our, our relationships and in our own minds, you know, different things where I know I go and beat myself up over things. Well, why was, what was I thinking? And well, that was kind of silly. Why did you choose to do that kind of thing? I think that's where it really starts is that relationship with self and understanding these differences of opinions within mm-hmm. ourselves, even yeah. different parts of us. And then in our relationship, my relationship with you or other couples we work with, you know, to simply have that curiosity and that willingness to explore those differences rather than being stuck on my way and let's fight about it. Mm-hmm. And for me, one of the big things that you and I have have learned and we continue to share with others is is the work of of Stephen Cartman mm. and his Cartman's triangle model. And and it still is really significant for me. And that started way back in the 60s when Stephen Cartman was working on, he and his team were doing some research on, they called it transactional analysis, trying to figure out what goes on in relationships when there is conflict or differences of opinions. And he came up with this neat model, the Cartman's Triangle, which you you just talked about, and the three positions of it. And it's so, from my perspective, it's so simple and it's so accurate. And yet, man, it takes a lot of courage to actually apply what it is. Mm-hmm. Part of that for me is, is getting past my ego and my willingness to step into seeing your opinion and your, you know, having those differences be okay and not needing to control and a bunch of those things. So, so for you and me, that the fact that we want something better, a a bigger outcome has been really powerful. Yeah. That, that bigger vision and figuring out ways to move towards it rather than some have having big boulders and bricks between us. Mm -hmm. And, and that awareness of when we drop into that triangle, you know, that, and the different aspects of it. Just being aware of that has helped me and I think us so much and allows me now to notice when I get there. You know, I choose to notice and then can move out of it more quickly maybe than than I did in the past. I think about our first number of years of marriage, how entrenched we were in that triangle and, and the feeling of victimization. Yeah. And the Cartman's Triangle with its three positions of victim, persecutor, and rescuer, you know, they describe what it looks like from an outside perspective, thinking about these conflicts we were in. And yet it doesn't matter where you are in any one of those positions. I feel victimized. Mm -hmm. Somebody or something has done it to me. And then I think the big piece is when we step into victimhood. You know, stuff will always happen. Life, Life has a way of doing that. And so anything from the weather to circumstances, things not going the way I want, puts me in an experience of of being victimized. I mean, stuff's happening that I perceive to be outside of my control. And yet when I really self-identify with it and I I step into victimhood where I, I use the words, you know, I am, and then I put, you know, a variety of things behind that, you know, helpless or hopeless or you know, unable or whatever the words are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So victimization is oftentimes something outside of us, sort of an external thing 
sometimes even out of our control. Mm -hmm. As you said, the weather, you know, I couldn't get to the meeting on time because there was a blizzard or, you know, I couldn't get home. We were going to have supper at six o'clock, but I couldn't get home from Edmonton because there was a crash on the highway or something. That's, that's victimized where it's sometimes out of my control. Mm-hmm. But the victimhood is... Is when it's is the ownership piece uh, where, where it becomes, I am uh, something because of that. Yep. And for me, when I step into that, it's, it's that I'm less than, or I am powerless, or I am, you know, I put some other, and, and it may not even that be that I say those words to myself. However, I take on that. And on some level of my being, I, I start to act in that way. Mm, yeah. And that really describes the position of victim in the triangle. Mm. And I think a key piece here is to be able to step into it or step out of it so that we can look at it. So when I'm in it, it doesn't matter what position I'm in, I'm feeling like I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. I'm owning it as the victim. And yet if I can look, step back away from it, and if we were to look at the situation as if it were on a movie or some TV show, the behavior would look like in the victim role, the behavior will look like, you know, they're not good enough. They can't do things by themselves. They're powerless. Helpless. Helpless. Hopeless, all those things, yep. yeah. In the persecutor role, they're the bully. They're the one that's picking. They're the one that's angry. They're poking buttons and... Yeah. yeah. And the rescuer, that one's a hard one. <laughs> well, yeah, hard for me, for sure. And I, I know lots of people we talk to because it's, it's about, you know, donning our cape and feeling like we're making such a difference and inadvertently taking over the other person's autonomy for themselves. So to step in as a rescuer, it it gives the perception to the other person that they're not capable. And that's why it's, it's so hard. We identify with heroes in our society, whether it be through the movies we watch or in real life, you know, the people that are our first responders. I have a great deal of respect and appreciation for them. And so the idea of rescuing is, is a tough one for me to wrap my head around releasing. So I think that we need to make some clarification here for us so that like the first responder, those types of rescuers, they're doing that. That's sort of the, the goodness of, their, of, of what they're doing. Whereas the rescuer in the, this drama triangle is more where I'm trying to fix it for you because you're a hopeless boob and can't do it on your own. And I think that the rescuer that you talked about, the first responders, they are responding to an emergency situation. And so what's needed is truly that person needs to get out of the burning building or the the trapped car or get to the hospital in the ambulance. What the rescuer position in, in Cartman's Triangle is about is when I take the dishcloth out of your hands because you're not wiping the counter quite as well as I would, or I'm doing something for you that you really didn't want me to do, you know, but I think I'm helping. So in other words, you're trying to rescue and help whether I want it or need it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. And the the piece that what I've learned to realize about myself, I mean, like you said, we've we've been playing with the triangle for over 20 years now. And just, I had this realization, I don't know, maybe a year ago, where I, I realized that when I'm choosing to be in that role, I'm putting everyone else's needs before mine, which means I don't have to check in to see what I'm not feeling. I don't have to check into my feelings, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I don't have to 
think about, oh, hmm, I'm feeling a little less than here or, oh, if I were looking after myself a little better there or those types of things, by rescuing someone else, I can be just all focused on that. Ah, so it's kind of an, an avoidance mechanism of having to look at self for me, and what's it is. going on there. Yeah, I think that would probably be true for me and probably most others when they're playing that position. And so that then the rescuing gets them, allows them to feel good and to feel valued and feel, you know, maybe if I can, if I can care for you and help you and rescue you long enough and hard enough and well enough, then finally I'll be worthy of being loved. Mm-hmm. And I think. With the triangle, that worthiness is is only something that I'm experiencing or lack of that within. And so from the outside, if I go volunteer in our community, which I still choose to do, from the outside looking in, you will still see Carol volunteering in the community. The only one that can know what's going on for me around my worthiness or lack of worthiness is me. And so, you know, interesting as a result of COVID and all of our volunteer activities were kind of halted. Coming back in, I made a conscious choice to do things joyfully and to say no to the things that I wouldn't do joyfully. What that allowed me to do was step out of that rescuer role. That's true. And I liked your comment earlier about how from an outside perspective, you're still doing the work. You're still doing it. I was noticing this week I had a whole bunch of volunteer stuff that I needed to get done. And I went from feeling joyful about doing it to feeling a little bit resentful mm. and even angry. And I think there's the key is no matter where we are in this whole deal, to be aware, really consciously aware of the feelings, because I think that's probably the indicator of when we're in this drama triangle or not. You know, I can be doing the volunteer work and giving joyfully and gleefully and full of satisfaction and great fulfillment in that, I'm being who I truly am, being real and genuine. It's when I start to feel a little resentment or anger or some of those quote-unquote not-love feelings, that's the indication that I'm stuck in this triangle and getting caught up in the drama. And that's where understanding that feeling, that's the recognition of the victimhood piece. And so when we recognize that, then we're able to move out of that. And, And yet, as we explore the triangle... When I am feeling less than, and we've talked a lot about the rescuer, in the victim piece, then if I'm sitting in that role, I am doing things, I'm manipulative and I'm, you know, doing some sort of poor me stuff and other people feel that I'm guilting them into things. And so if I'm not aware, I step there. And there's some power in that too. I mean, that's probably one of the rewards in that victim position is there's sort of a manipulative piece in there where maybe at some level there's maybe a sense of power. And yet in that role, you feel totally powerless and useless and unable. And I think it is about gaining power. We think about one of the coaching principles being that everything has a positive intention behind it. Well, the positive intention behind some of these things would be gaining that power even though we do it in a very inappropriate or, you know, it's it's a destructive way that we do it. So the victim then feels hopeless, powerless. They'll use things like the guilt, the shame, the blame. They can't make decisions. They need help. They can't do it all on their own. Mm-hmm. That's what the behavior would look like. Neediness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And yet the persecutor then, you know, I think about when I step into the role of persecutor, that's where I become defensive and I become more rude or obnoxious than I I might normally be. I'm looking to, to have power over another, which again, for me is a very uncomfortable space to be. And yet I go there when I, I am looking to get some power back and I do it in a very domineering way. So I think what happens then, Carol, is when we're playing that victim role, something will trigger us. So then all of a sudden we have a heightened emotion where we get maybe angry, ticked off. We have to find that power. So then we'll lash out. We'll use anger. We'll we'll be defensive. We'll be more loud and, and overt. Yeah. And that comes across as that's the persecutor role. Yes. And I laughed because I was thinking about myself in in, in my past moments when I was slightly less aware. And I would let the victim stuff build up and build up. And it would become like this volcano that would erupt as I stepped into this persecutor role and I spewed all over everyone that was in my wake. And and so now it's funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. And it was so destructive. And when I go there now, I think it's less volcanic. However, it still happens. Yeah. So there's a neat switch that happens, a switch of roles. So it's like we change costumes. So we're playing the victim role and we're wearing that costume. And all of a sudden something triggers us and then we get explosive possibly, or maybe we... Maybe we use silence as that way to almost abuse the other person. But anyway, we put on a different costume and become that persecutor. And then I think something happens where we change costumes again and we move over to the rescuer role. For example, you, you're so kind, so caring, so Mm -hmm. compassionate. And yet when that volcano explosion happens, you don't spend much time there. No, I feel pretty poorly very quickly. (laughs) Uh, And so then you put on a different, Mm -hmm. then you put on that cape and and step over into the rescue role. Here I come. I'm going to rescue the situation or the other person. And I do that too. When I play the persecutor, sometimes there'll be that explosion possibly, but sometimes it's that silence. Sometimes it's ignoring or, you know, not communicating with you, withholding information Mm. where my power is gained in that way. I sense it's a withdrawal. Yeah. Is, is the feeling I kind of get. Mm-hmm. And yet, same thing. Then it's like, oh, I don't feel good here. I'm going to, I need to put on my cape and I need to solve this. I need to fix it. I'm going to make it better for you. Come up with all these solutions, mm-hmm. which are lovely. You know, if, if we really were a spot where we said, hey, we recognize we're here. Let's talk about how we might do things differently and we could brainstorm. However, when you or I step into that rescuer role, it's not about brainstorming. It's about, I'm the one that's going to fix it. So we go from the victim to the persecutor. And each time we change costumes, then we go to the rescuer, put on our cape. But that rescuer piece only lasts for a little while until... Well, until, like, if, if you were in that rescuer role, then, you know, I'm I'm pretty independent. And, and pretty soon I'm going... <laughs> Don't do this to me anymore. And boom, I, I jump into that other role. Then I feel really crappy and poor me. You've done it to mm-hmm. me. Then I moved to the victim role, change my costume again. It's an interesting triangle that turns into sort of a cesspool of a downward spiral. Absolutely. And I think about 
us and other couples that we've worked with. I think about several couples that we've worked with where it sounded like they had been stuck in this dreaded drama triangle for most of their relationship. And for some of them, it was a very long relationship. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of years of that. Yep. And the freedom that can come when we're able, when we're aware of it first off and then can choose a different way. I think that's the key piece right there, Mm -hmm. is choice. You know, when we're playing in this drama triangle, this dreaded drama triangle, we're powerless, doesn't matter which position, we're trying to gain power, we're trying to fix, we're the poor me. But as soon as we can realize that we actually have a choice, Mm -hmm. things can change. Well, and and that choice comes when we move past our ego that is really oftentimes trying to justify where we are as well. Absolutely. Well, I know when we first learned about this, and even, you know, recently, when I or we fall into this, my ego likes to justify (laughs) that I'm doing the right thing. You know, when I lash out, it's the right thing to do. Or when I'm fixing it for you, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So there's the key pieces. How do we let that ego set it aside? And I think awareness is a big part of it. However, I can be aware that I'm in the triangle and then still continue to justify, as we've just talked about, or I can then say, what is it that I really want, which allows me to kind of check in and say, well, what choices are available to me now? So what could I do differently in this moment? And as soon as we have choice, then our mind switches, it seems like. Yeah, it allows me to step into a place of more possibility, at least. And ownership. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that podcast we did about accountability, ownership. When I realize I have some choices of my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my feelings, then I can really make some changes in life. And then one of the pieces that has helped us so tremendously is to be able to have that, first of all, recognition, our own ownership. And then to be able to have some kind of a way of sharing that with each other. So for us to be able to say, I recognize that I've just stepped into the triangle. That's powerful because that's that accountability piece. It's not, hey, you bonehead, you're in the triangle because that's just, I'm being a persecutor. (laughs) I tried it. It didn't work very well. (laughs) (laughs) But instead, that accountability of, I realize Mm. I have stepped into the triangle. Wow then at least we can have that conversation about what's really happening. Well, and I know when you say that, it allows me to process and go, wow, Dan has just been really vulnerable. You know, you've just shared your underbelly with me. And so I'm now ready to join you in that because you've owned up, you fessed up to say, this is where I am. And I recognize that by you saying that you want something else for us, which you are really good about saying as well. You know, I recognize that we've just stepped into the triangle or I've just stepped into the triangle. And what I'd really like is, and then you express that, which allows me to think about what a better future is for us. Part of that is having that moment to just pause and take a breath or two. Hmm. Uh, as soon as we do that, the diff, then that old good old prefrontal cortex kicks into gear and we can start looking at strategies, plans, vision, bigger things, rather than getting stuck in the the emotions and the drama. And something as simple as a breath. And, you know, interestingly, when we coach, 
quite often that is the tactic that individuals and couples come up with for themselves to be able to pause and and reframe. It is that breath. And I know it's something I use, you know, just to say, ah, okay, let me regroup. It's big. It's big. I think fairly recently when we were this commercial building we've got in town and it's been sitting vacant and you came up with these, let me call them screwball ideas. <laughs> me? Yeah, of what needed to happen in there. And you had me come in there and you were going on and on about, you know, we'll do this and we'll do this. We'll build these walls here. We'll fix that there. We'll replace windows. We'll fix the door there. We'll do this. We'll be able to have this here. And in my mind, I'm going, oh man, Carol, this is, I'm, I'm the one who's going to have to come in and build these walls. And I was very much feeling poor me. And I was like, I got enough stuff on my plate already. And now you're laying this on me. Well, I could justify that by, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that building is that big and blah, blah, blah. And so very quickly jump into that triangle with you. Obviously, I appeared to be playing the role of persecutor and then I wanted to defend. So, you know, all of those, those ideas that, that I had, of course they were good because I'd thought about them for a long time. (laughs) And then I, Uh, I think I said something about Carol, how am I supposed to do all this stuff with all the other things I've got going on? I don't remember what exactly happened. Well, I had ideas then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what did you do then from an outside perspective? Well, from the outside perspective, I jumped into the role of rescuer Okay. because I recognized that you were feeling persecuted by my, you know, all of these things that I was demanding we we would do. Well, it was the Royal we, but it wasn't going to be me doing the majority of the work. And so then I jumped in and, oh, well, I could hire this person or we could, you know, contract that or let's do it different. Let's sell the building. I came up with all these other ideas as I was trying to rescue the situation and you from. Guess what happened to my emotions as I was starting to boil and burn inside. And then that good old volcano that you talked about and I puked out a bunch. Oh, don't be so stupid, Carol. You know, I'll get it done and blah, 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 blah. And And then I was in the persecutor role. Yeah. Oh, poor me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember standing in that building and that happened. And you just, I could just see you just becoming <laughs> deflated. And it was like all of a sudden you were a little mouse in the corner. And then I felt really shitty. Yeah. And I see it as like a balloon. I get this image of the balloon just with, you know, the air just coming out of it. Yeah. Yep. And that's the feeling I get when I step into that victim role. It's just like, Ah, what's the use? And then I was running around trying to catch the balloon before it hit the floor because I got to save it for you, got to fix it for you. Don't hit the floor. You're going to hurt your head, poor you. So then I started fixing and rescuing and... I'm sure glad that you were a big enough person to catch that we were in this and and mention it. I think we probably went around the rotation about twice before we caught it. That's really good. (laughs) Still plenty long, but... You know, we're human. Yeah, we we caught the, got the collateral damage fixed before it got too deep. But this is the way relationships get destroyed, is when we're not aware of the drama cycle, when we're not aware of when I am in it and the destructive effect it has on our relationship. You know, even with the awareness, I think that there's an addictiveness to it. You know, I think each of the roles, when I'm in them, because it's about me gaining power and, and 
because I'm feeling victimized or in, in a victimhood, I think that I'm addicted to jumping into the persecutor or the rescuer. For sure, I'm addicted to that. And if I were a scientist, I'd probably know what hormones were released and, and how all that played out because I think, I know I get energized. Mm. And so there's got to be a hormonal something going on. And, and I wonder if it's an addiction, like an addiction to other substances. Sure, it's an adrenaline rush, you know, when we get that and, and we're addicted to it. And it, you know, it has all those other bodily effects where our heart starts to pound and our vision narrows and we can't hear well, we don't think well, we get all confused. And it's, uh, it's an addiction to that. And I think that like any addiction, there's also the downside of the downer afterwards. And so for me, that's why I find it to be so unhealthy for myself, because I can feel the ups and downs. And I also know the, the damage that it does to our relationship. And I don't like that. So not only does it destroy relationships, it affects us physically as well. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, the times that I'm feeling a little stiff and sore or get a headache or some of those things is as a result of the energy that I've invested into this not so positive triangle. Oh, and I think about you know, where we see it so regularly when couples come here for retreats or, or coaching and, and we're actually physically together, although distanced. And, you know, there's furrows on the brows and they've been had a fight on the way out. And you can tell they're just, uh, mm. they're in this drama stuff. And yet through them understanding this and some coaching, all of a sudden they look different. <laughs> I think we should take before and after pictures. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, because there is a different a lightness, a physical change, you know, the, the body changes for sure as, as we release some of these things. And well, I know that I act differently and show up differently in our lives, in our household, when I'm feeling joyful, happy, fulfilled, satisfied, where our love is deep and growing. And I just am a different person then than when I get stuck in these funks. Yeah. And I'm also more energetic. You know, I think I step more lightly when things are going well than when I'm feeling downtrodden. And maybe that's where the word came from. And I have a different energy about myself. So we can sit in the mall and just by watching people's behavior and their facial expressions, we can say, ah, oh, yeah, drama triangle. Nah, they're good. Uh-huh, drama triangle. <laughs> it's kind of like the old Charlie Brown comic strip where it was at Linus that, no, no, Pigpen, Pigpen that that had the, the cloud of dust going around with them. And, and I think that for some of us, when we're really firmly entrenched in this dreaded drama triangle, we've got this cloud of something or other that's spilling off of us wherever we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's helpful too, is if we can think about some of these roles that we play in a fun a cartoon kind of a way, it helps to lighten it up. We become more aware of it and realize that it's, you know, really it's, most of these things are not a big life-changing deal. No, you know, there is a way out of that. And I think that, you know, this podcast has, has gone on long enough that we should probably do another one yep. that's about how to get out of it and and to recognize, A, when we're in it and what kind of things can we do to step out of it? Because there are some creative ways to not spend nearly so much time entrenched in this dreaded drama triangle. Absolutely. We, we learned about a model developed by David Emerald called the Empowerment Dynamic. Let's do the next podcast about that, which will be sort of the antidote 
to the dreaded drama triangle. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Okay. So just imagine, I want you just to imagine what life could be like Mm. for us, for others, if we were to find ways to be really aware of those feelings and, and, you know, every time we slipped into those not love feelings, we were able to do something to step out of that and to be totally creative and accountable and joyful and happy and full Mm. of love. Wow. Let's do that. Works for me. If you're stuck in that triangle and ego is justifying and you're got these conflicts going round and round, just know that it's normal. Give us a call. Pick up the phone or send us an email and let's have a conversation. And don't wait till the next podcast. Let's work on it now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Relationships by Design. We trust you created value for yourself. Our vision is healing our planet one relationship at a time. To help us do that, please give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We invite you to visit our website at www.danandcarol.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You'll also find tools and information to support you to create your relationships by design.